1: and welcome to the Farmside Podcast where we talk everything agribusiness. This week we're ripping into episode 54 with a very familiar voice within Aussie ag. We introduce to you Sarah Nollet, our first podcast host on the show. But that's not all she does. She's driving ag tech within Australia and drawing on her contacts, her knowledge to build a more efficient, productive, and sustainable future for Australian agriculture just what we like to hear on this podcast. If you like this episode, make sure you do share it with your mates, with a farmer, to help promote growth within Australian agribusiness, as it can go a long way to getting out there to the 319,000 working within Aussie Ag. We couldn't be any happier to have her on the show this week, so let's not waste any more time and get into it. Sarah, how are you going?
2: Good, Jack. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Fantastic to have you on the podcast, considering Sydney's lockdown, but I'm sure you've been quite busy behind the microphone as well.
2: Yes. Well, it's easy to podcast when you're in lockdown, so I guess that's a benefit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're my first podcast host I've actually had on the show, so it's good to have another in the industry that's doing a lot and voicing the world of what ag tech is for you. Before we get into it, can you just give us a bit of a spiel of how you landed yourself in agriculture and what your connection
2: is? Sure. Um, So I did not grow up on a farm or in a farming area. I grew up in Silicon Valley, California, which is right near San Francisco. And uh, I think there were orchards there back in the day. But pretty much since I lived there, it was all tech hubs and computers and semiconductor industry. Um, We did have a bit of a hobby farm up in Northern California. And so I spent time there as a teenager, um, but honestly didn't think of myself with any kind of ag background or that I would land in agriculture. Um, I went off to the East Coast of the U.S and studied computer science and worked in the defense industry so again not much to do with ag Um, but I ended up taking some time off and uh, went to South America on what became a accidental gap year and I lived on a bunch of farms in mostly Argentina and that really kicked off a passion for agriculture and interest in how I could bring my tech background into ag and I guess it reconnected a lot of the roots and inspiration of spending time on our hobby farm into a world that could be more of a career. Cause I hadn't really connected the two as, as, you know, a potential path for me, but it was pretty obvious to me, um, you know, pulling weeds on a organic tomato farm that we could have technology that could do that a little bit better. And so that's what I got interested in. And, and I went down the ag rabbit hole and haven't, haven't come out since.
1: Yeah. Amazing. So you've been sort of chasing, becoming more efficient, yourself into seeing what else we can be doing rather than doing the hard manual labor.
2: That was one of them. I mean, that was pretty obvious just because I experienced it physically myself, but there was a lot of other things too on that farm in particular, you know, I would, we would go to a small um, market on the weekends and, and sell produce there. So all pretty small scale, but there was no connection between what we were selling and any kind of analysis of cost of production or margin. And so the decisions about, well, should we bake cookies and sell them? And should we bake bread or should we invest in a processing plant and turn the raw tomatoes into sauce? Like we had no information available to make any of those decisions. So there were a lot of other angles where it was um, pretty obvious that technology or some simple um, kind of tools that are pretty commonly used in other industries might help make the farm more um, profitable and make the jobs easier of all kinds, not just the physical ones. Um, And that was something that seemed really exciting to me.
1: Yeah, amazing. So what brought you actually to Australia? (laughs)
2: Yeah, I always want to say that like I saw the opportunity for agriculture and just moved across the world, um, but it's not true. Um, So my partner David got a job here his company, um, he's American too and his US company moved him out here and um, I said well sounds like a cool place to go and uh, maybe we'll go for a year and then I landed here and honestly was really excited by the potential of ag tech I had kind of seen from afar that Australia is good at agriculture you know production and an exporter and our agricultural research is good but but really hadn't um, seen much in the way of ag tech and when I got here there wasn't much in the way of ag tech and so it seemed like an opportunity to help uh, bring some of that to life here and, and that's what I've been doing
1: yeah definitely well I think it's great to have you in the industry you've got a bit of a rap sheet authentic tenacious adventures capital and also ag tech what so what podcast So can you just go through and explain what each one means and what it does for AgTech within Australia?
2: Cool. Um, so we're the Agented Group, um, and basically we've got one. Um, so everything we do is about helping enable um, innovative agriculture for global impact. So we think about really working through others, so through the amazing farmers that we get to work with, through our clients who are industry bodies and governments and investors, and through the startups that we invest in that are helping to bring some of these new technologies to market. And so we've got an advisory business that helps clients to think about adoption, think about systems change, think about sustainability. We've got an investment business that backs startups who are building this future, and we've got a podcast that tells the stories of some of the innovators, both traditional and non-traditional, who are helping uh, bring this future and make it a reality. Um, So we are fortunate to spend 100% of our time at the intersection of agriculture and technology and thinking about what the future looks like.
1: Yeah, I think it works quite well running a podcast and also being at the heart of it as well looking at how they can raise some capital for ag tech and whether or not it's a valuable idea for the industry. When you talk about global impact, what sort of ag tech is making global impact? Is that waste or production?
2: I mean, all kinds of things. You mentioned kind of profitability before and manual labor. So, you know, one is obviously um, automation and robotics, and how can we help um, solve some of the labor challenges, labor shortages, but also better jobs and jobs in regional areas that people want to do to to help regional communities thrive. So, kind of automation is a whole area we think about. Um, We also think about waste management. So, how do we turn things that are waste streams into new revenue streams, but also how do we minimize waste streams because it's causing, you know, emissions and, and helping agriculture get a bad rap or helping um, contribute to climate change. Um, Another area we think about is kind of lower chemical intensity of production. So not only improving the kind of perception of agriculture but lowering the input bill and helping get consumers what they want and get farmers recognized and rewarded for that. Um, And then there's whole new kind of areas opening up whether that's alternative protein or soil carbon or some of these more emerging areas that we also get to look at as well.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. actually love the job of doing that but I'm farming as well so I won't get away from farming but a bit of a broad question what's happening in the world of ag tech within Australia currently attack it how you like
2: yeah so one of the things that um really continues to strike and excite me about Australian ag tech is how Uh, connected it is to farmers and there's lots of ways that happen. So when you go talk about ag tech in the US, sure, sometimes you've got a farmer on the team or you've got a farmer who's an investor or, you know, some customers that'll put their hand up and say, I love being part of this company or whatever. But in Australia, you've got, it's just so much closer. You've got farmers like Andrew and Jossie Bate who have started Swarm Farm. You've got farmers who are building apps, farmers who are welding on different implements, farmers who are just getting out there and driving a lot of ag tech forward because they've had to, because it's, it's pretty tough here. And, um, farmers are incredibly innovative here and they've just had to be, it's kind of the Australian way. And so when investors come here and talk to me about, Oh, what, what their experience was of Australian ag tech, a lot of the views are, wow, it was really much more connected to the user. And it was a bit different than what I saw in Europe or in the U S because they were working more with farmers or they were farmers themselves. or they really get the industry or they're really embedded in the industry. And, um, I know it doesn't always feel that way for farmers because some of this ag tech stuff can still feel a bit like it's shiny and it comes from the city and it maybe doesn't resonate. And I I totally get that too. We're not all the way there yet. Um, But I think compared to other countries, especially, it is a bit more boots on the ground um, and connected to what's actually going to drive value, which is really exciting and and is unique about Australia, even though we're not all the way there yet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if a farmer's driving it, other farmers are going to come on board and adopt a lot quicker. We've had a few of the founders of Australian AgTech tech come on the show, which is really good to see, but do you think it's because our market's more isolated and we had to share and come up with our own knowledge?
2: Uh, maybe. I think it's also because we, you know, Australian farmers have just had a history of, of doing it. So there hasn't been that subsidy system. There hasn't been that support. The soils haven't been as good. The climate has been more volatile. And so if you're farming, you've had to figure it out and that, doesn't always mean relying on a solution that's built overseas to then get customized for Australian conditions and then get sold here in a way you want to buy it. Often it's just, well, I'll build it myself first. Uh, And we've just had that history of innovation through our farmers and through our research system here. And so I think that that kind of helps give that character to uh, ag tech here in a way that might not exist in other countries.
1: Yeah. 100%. So for ag tech, where's it moving the most? Is it into broadacre cropping? Is it horticulture livestock? I've seen a bit of an uptrend of livestock's getting a bit of funding at the moment, um, which is sort of behind where cropping is, but where's the money going to currently or the strategy line? Yeah.
2: I think a lot of the initial, when we talk about ag tech has gone into broadacre just because there's so much more equipment and just more frequent purchasing of equipment. And so you've had GPS tractors, you've had some of this tech come in and, and get adopted not necessarily because it was better or worse, just because it came on the equipment you were already buying. And so that kind of led to interest and and adoption, but we're really seeing it um, in all different industries. Now you mentioned horticulture, and I think some of the, you know, the prices and the market dynamics there mean people can invest in these kind of technologies in a way they maybe can't in other industries. and then you're seeing in livestock too, because, uh, it's such a massive opportunity. I mean, the demand for protein is absolutely skyrocketing. People care more than ever about where their food comes from. And so there's opportunities for producers to kind of get involved in that supply chain, uh, and get rewarded for the practices they're doing, whether that's, you know, a carbon neutral beef product or, you know, hormone free or whatever it might be. And technology can help make, you know, kind of connect those dots. So it isn't just, Hey farmer farm differently, and hopefully you'll make money. It's more, how do we actually create an incentive and there is an ROI for you to do something differently. Um, And that technology piece, I think, is where where that gets exciting because for so long, it's been a bit too much push on the farmer to have to change without any kind of reason why they would. Uh, And so we're seeing that tech kind of unlock the benefits.
1: Yeah, it's great to see as it further rolls out. And do you see the more people that adopt the technology, the more that the technology can adapt to those adopters through their development and their feedback?
2: Oh, 100%, Jack. And I'm sure you've seen that too. Like what ag tech companies absolutely need is those uh, early adopters and users to help give them feedback because otherwise we've got developers, and they might be great at machine learning or robotics or computer science, but if they don't have that farming background or connections to it, then how can we expect them to build a great solution? Whereas if they can partner with a farmer and find the right way to reward them, whether that's equity or money or discounts or whatever it might be, then you can have a really powerful partnership to develop solutions that act actually help farmers and and move the needle on the ground. So I think that's absolutely key. And then, as you said before, once you've got some farmers on board that are really seeing value, it helps spread that adoption because they're telling their buddies and and they're sharing the word and and there's no better way to get a product adopted than because farmers know it actually adds value and are sharing it with their friends.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the Australian agriculture system relies on word of mouth. It used to be driving to your neighbours, but now it's shouting about on Twitter. You might have seen on Twitter that farmers (laughs) in Australia do love it. Um, and it's a great way to share other information. That's what I'm trying to do with Farm's Advice is just get people passing on whatever they're using and be a bit more transparent in what they're up to. So for Ag authentic, you talk about um, strategizing for ag tech companies. Run us through that. Yeah, move. we,
2: yeah, we, we help them a lot. I mean, I would say one thing that we saw was that um, a lot of the companies were really focused on the technology, but maybe weren't as connected to the users or users were, you know, farmers were interested in the technology, but didn't really know where to look or how to tell the difference between what looked like seven different similar products. And so we end up playing this kind of translator role where we're connecting farmers with tech companies and vice versa. And we're helping everyone sort of speak the same language, whether that's a research and development corporation, like a, um, you know, one of the industry bodies or whether that's a corporate or an ag tech company, uh, we end up doing a lot of that connection work so that everyone is speaking the same language, can form those partnerships and can develop solutions that are actually better. Um, And then we also get to do work like uh, we just wrote a report on the future of Australian agriculture over the next 10 years. And so we got to do a bit of uh, chatting with experts, with farmers, with um, future thinkers, with technologists, with researchers about what's changing and where's the future headed, and then write a report for AgriFutures Australia on what that future looks like. So some of the stuff we do is really practical on the ground, Looking at specific technologies, you know, what's happening with water monitoring and how could that help measure water use efficiency in cotton? And some of it's more pie in the sky, like where are things headed in the next 10 years and what might that mean for producers or for corporates? Um, so it's it's a pretty fun job, but but no two uh, months are, are the same in terms of the work we do.
1: Yeah, definitely. And forecasting what's going to happen in 10 years is quite difficult. We rely on weather <laughs> forecasts, but they can come through wrong sometimes. Is that including the $100 billion at the farm gate?
2: yeah we did look at that as a lens and I, I wouldn't say we were we were forecasting or predicting if I said that I, I definitely misspoke we we actually um, we kind of think about how do we how do we challenge and provoke people to think about what the future might look like and why it might be different than today and then say well if it is going to be really different whether that means we'll have to farm different things or we'll farm in different seasons or we'll use different equipment or technology or we'll have different supply chains whatever it means what would I do today to get ready for that future? And so we spend a lot of time sort of saying, well, if you're an industry body, how do you get ready? If you're a farmer, how do you get ready? If you're an agronomist, how do you get ready? Uh, and and so it's not so much, we know what will happen, but more if this big shift happens, then how do you get ready today? And how do you make sure you're prepared? Um, so yeah, that's that's really a lot of fun and means we get to work with a lot of different players in the value chain.
1: Yeah, definitely. And as a farmer, how do we get ready for the next 10 years? What are two things you don't have to share the whole yeah. report but what's how can a farmer get ready
2: i would say one is uh and we heard this consistently this isn't this isn't our advice but in doing this project we talked to you know ceos of multi-million and billion dollar companies in agriculture as well as um, small and large farmers and, and industry bodies as i said and, and the a big theme was that the future won't look the same as the past and the strategies that we've used the past in the past might not be the strategies that will work in the future. So we really do need to think differently. Now think differently might mean new kinds of collaborations, like new kinds of partnerships. So whether that means as a farmer, you're partnering with a food company or you're partnering with a tech company or you're partnering with an energy company because you've got solar panels on your farm or wind turbines on your farm, there's this kind of like new partnerships excuse me, new partnerships theme uh, and partnerships with sort of unusual suspects. So we heard a lot of people talking about um, partnering with a, an NGO or a, an environmental organization, whereas maybe 10 or 15 years ago, they never would have thought about that kind of partnership. But today that makes sense and you can actually find benefits in working together. Um, so that's one theme is kind of partnership and unusual suspects. Um, and the other one would be, I guess, Um, challenging what it means to be a farmer and to work in agriculture. So we hear often, you know, I'm a fifth generation livestock producer, or I'm a third generation grain producer, that kind of thing. And that's absolutely, um, you know, the kind of Respect and honor and pride that comes with that is is not at all something I would diminish. It's absolutely important, and and you know the stewardship of the land is is something to to respect for sure. That said, we do have these new perspectives coming in, whether it's because you're a machine learning programmer or a roboticist, or because um, you're going to also be farming carbon or maybe you're farming um, energy because you've got, you know, solar panels or wind turbines, as I said. And so, you know, what do you say when you're a you're a fifth generation livestock producer, but a first generation carbon farmer, you know, it starts to challenge the identities um, of what it's meant to be, to be a farmer and to work in agriculture with these different skill sets coming in. And so I think that's one of the shifts we're seeing that's going to be really positive, but maybe not always easy in, in getting there.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's a great way to look at it as a first generation, rate generation carbon farmer I didn't think of it like that I suppose like this year is like a very important year of pushing that carbon farming and how we can work with the government or these partners as well good stuff
2: yeah, definitely. And those partnerships, you know, that's just one example that's kind of come to light this year, but I think there'll be many others. And, you know, in the past we might have said, oh, well, you know, what do they know? Or they haven't been part of agriculture, but I think there's a real shift in mindset now to say, well, they don't know anything about agriculture, but I do. And so by working together, because they know a lot about something else, we can actually find a way to make this work. And those kinds of collaborations uh, are going to unlock new value. And that's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, perfect. I say like those partnerships are they going to be unlocking further innovation for farmers individually
2: yeah, I think so. Um, you know, individuals, like we were saying before, that are getting involved with a tech company, you might say, well, they're giving a lot of value to the tech company because they're giving advice on features or, you know, spending time to help them test stuff out. But it also means they get access to that tech first and they get their features that they request they built and they've got the CEO or the, the cell phone number of the CTO. So when something breaks, you know, they can call and get it fixed right away. So I think there are benefits that go both ways from getting involved um, and And that's, it it actually truly can be a beneficial partnership. The other big thing I would say, Jack, is a lot of these companies are now shifting from just selling things to farmers, which can be really tough, right? Um, Because what's the incentive to change and it's too expensive. And then I got to pay a subscription fee and, and on and on and on and on. saying, well, who actually benefits? And maybe it's the consumer, maybe it's the supply chain that can be more efficient or that has predictions on yield or data on quality or whatever it might be. And so how do we actually get them to pay for it? And so farmers still benefit, but maybe they're not always getting their their doors knocked on to open up their wallets and pay. And so we're kind of seeing that shift so that farmers can benefit, but aren't always the ones uh, putting their hand in their pocket.
1: Yeah, perfect. But it's just opening up the opportunity for farmers to access a wealth of information and even maybe some backing there. They don't have to outlay so much initially. Perfect. Exactly. That that rolls me in pretty well into Tenacious Venture Capital. What are you doing there? It's actually the Australia's first agri-food tech firm, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So we're, we're the um, the kind of first specialist agri-food tech venture capital firm. And basically that's a lot of words and jargon to say, to say that uh, we're the first uh, kind of investment fund that's focused entirely on innovation in agriculture and food. Uh, and the only kind of firm that's that's focusing on backing startups in this space. So all these ag tech developers and companies, one of the ways they can get funding is through investors called venture capitalists. And a lot of the venture capitalists out there have been investing in all kinds of sectors so in medical and in space and in you know social media and and they might look at agriculture as well um but it's just one of the many things they look at whereas our investment firm is only looking at agriculture and food so we get to spend 100 of our time looking at all the different sectors within agriculture and so we're the first kind of specialists in that space um and that's what tenacious ventures does
1: beautiful so who's coming to tenacious ventures is it farmers with an idea or they've already launched an idea or is it an external that's already working on the food supply chain?
2: Yeah, it totally depends. I mean, we, we have, uh, Invested in companies that are founded by farmers and yeah. companies that are founded by not farmers. Uh, so we're we're super excited about all, all kinds of backgrounds. Um, but we have people coming to us who've got an idea, or probably a bit more than an idea. Maybe they've built the first prototype, or they've got a couple of customers signed on, uh, and they really need that capital to grow. And they also need support to um, build that business and take it to the next level. So there's. A good amount of places where you can find just money, but not as many places where you can find money and support and expertise in this space. So we provide that money, but also the expertise from our team and from our network. So our investors are farmers and agribusiness executives and uh, industry experts uh, and our networks have that too. And so, you know, we're a small team, but we bring a lot of support that we help our founders with to make sure they are adding value to their customers. And it isn't just tech for tech's sake, uh, but is a real, you know, sustainable business.
1: Yeah, definitely. And what's the future looking for Tenacious Ventures Capital? How are you growing your community, your network for ag tech? It's,
2: yeah, it's a good question, Jack. I mean, podcasts are one for sure, yep. um, and we we love chatting with with people um, who do have an idea for technologies. And um, you know, literally every week we talk to people who've got just an idea or an idea they've been working on for six years, uh, and we give you know advice and have office hours and, and try to help. But also, we're talking to farmers and to industry bodies and to corporates about their challenges because again, we can't just focus on the tech side. We also have to understand well what's really going to move the needle. What's going to be that next step change for? Productivity, or connection to consumers, or doing a job better, or getting more time back in the day to to do something with you know your family. So we spend a lot of time talking to industry as well and farmers about what's going to move the needle, uh, and then trying to find solutions to those problems uh, in the form of these startups and these technologies. So again, kind of translating across these different parts of the the equation to find solutions. Uh, And then when we find ones that we really believe in, we end up um, investing in them and providing that support.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So what are the challenges that you see coming up for these ag tech firms or the wannabe ones that want to launch their idea?
2: Yeah, there's all kinds of challenges. It's super hard to start a company, uh, as I'm I'm sure you know, Jack. So um, a couple common challenges we see. One is um, they might really know the industry and the problem they're solving and the technology, but this whole world of startups and venture capital is just full of jargon that doesn't really make sense to anyone from the outside. Uh, And so that's totally fine. We don't need you to speak startup, uh, just cause you know, that's the industry you're entering into. We don't speak all languages of a farmer either. And that's fine. So I'm sure I've sounded stupid a few times already on, on this podcast. Um, so we, that's kind of one challenge is just, we don't always speak the same language and so we'll end up spending a bunch of time kind of really understanding what it is that you're, um, that the business does and why you've understood this problem and why it's helped on your farm. And then we can add in the kind of Silicon Valley buzzword polish on top of it to kind of fit that pitch, um, so that's one challenge we see, just just not speaking the same language. Um, another one we see is just access to talent. You know, yeah. this technology is really complex, so I need a um, remote sensing engineer that's launched satellites before, and I need someone to write software to collect images and process them, and you know, I need someone to build a robot. You know, these are um, really competitive skill sets in the industry. So that can be another challenge that companies have. Um, And then maybe a third category is um, it's just really tough to build your own business and all the people demanding your time and the challenges of taking on investors' money and, you know, how how are you going to deliver on those returns? And you've got to hire a team and it's a lot of pressure. Um, And it can just be really tough um, from a personal standpoint just to um, go on that journey. And so we try to recognize that, yeah, we talk about the technology and the disruption and blah, 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 but we're also all humans at the end of the day. And it's pretty important to remember that these are tough jobs and it is a lot of pressure. And so um, just, you know, finding that support as, as a human and, you know, making sure we're thinking about things like mental health um, is, is also really important and can be a challenge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's vitally important. One challenge I see for farmers is actually like adopting, taking that next step or the first step into what can be helping them improve, save time or save money or improve their profitable, but like also move sustainably. How do you see ag tech firms looking to make it a lot more easier and more accessible for farmers to come on board without the barrier to entry?
2: Mm, yeah. I mean, I would love your, your advice probably is better than mine on this one, Jack, but I would say we, we do hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, you want to be on the leading edge, but not the bleeding edge. You know, yeah. as a farmer, you don't want to be trying stuff before it works because you're just going to spend money and it's not going to work. Um, but you do want to be there early because like I said before, you, there are lots of benefits of getting to access it first and help shape the features and get more support and that kind of thing. So um, for us, it's really thinking more about the business model than about the technology. So you can have a great widget. It can monitor all the moisture in the soil or all the carbon or, you know, all the features of um, sheep at every, you know, place on the farm. But if it costs too much money and you're not going to get benefit out of it, then you're never going to use it. And so I think sometimes... The challenge can be we focus too much on what the tech can do and what the features are, and not enough on what benefits it will provide and how it will actually have a return. Um, so that's kind of one one big piece. Um, the other one would be, you know, like I was saying before, we don't have to always sell this technology to farmers, and farmers don't need to be the only ones who are spending money to adopt it. So if it's someone downstream, whether the processor or the bulk handler or um, the food company, that's going to get benefits because they can sell it for more, or you know know what's coming and plan the you know capacity utilization in the factory or whatever it is then how about we get them to pay and think about a business model that kind of shifts the costs towards who's actually benefiting and the farmer still comes on board and gets the benefits but maybe they're not the one actually paying for the device or paying for the software because they're not actually capturing all the benefits that comes more um, downstream in the supply chain so I think we're seeing kind of shift in these tech companies thinking more about that whole business model and whole supply chain instead of just, I've got this cool technology, how can I get it on a farm and get the farmer to pay for it? But zooming out and saying, okay, where is this actually going to add value in the supply chain? And then who should pay for it and who should support that adoption and what kind of advisors should be involved and who should actually pay? Um, Because it's not just as simple as, oh, let's just sell it to the farmer.
1: Yeah, great stuff. I didn't actually think of that one as well. So Without just slapping it to the farmer, you could actually put it to another area of the supply chain, and it could become even more efficient than rather than put it leaving it with the farmer.
2: Yeah, exactly. What What other advice would you have
1: for for ag tech and farmers? Um, it's a bit of a difficult one. It's hard to you'd have to work you have to work quite closely with farmers and actually prove the point with them um, on. Like allowing farmers to become a part of the project, like uh, providing valuable feedback back to the clients is a really good way. And then probably just offering a free onload for a certain period of time is a really good one for farmers, just so they can trial and test it. They don't want to use something that may not be applicable to them. But if it's not, like adapt and adopt is what I try to say. So adapt to the new piece of technology. If it doesn't work, don't adopt it and move on and find something that suits you. But then that may be applicable to the others in the supply chain, like you said before. That's great.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And then moving on, you're a podcast host of AgTech. So what, how's it going? How did it start and what's its future?
2: Yeah, well, we are coming up on a hundred episodes here. I think we're at ninety-seven, maybe. So we've been doing it for a couple of years now. Um, and to be honest, Jack, I started with just um, I would meet all these amazing farmers and amazing, you know, entrepreneurs at conferences and things. And not be sure how to go approach them and they would tell a story on stage or they'd tell a story and I'd say, Oh, I really, I think they got this amazing story. And you told it like with so much humility and you didn't actually tell the good parts, but I'm sure there are good parts in there. Um, and I just think so many people could benefit from hearing that story. Um, but you know, who am I to go ask them, uh, and, and have them tell it. Um, and so, well, I, I loved listening to podcasts and I thought maybe if I had a podcast, then I could reach out to them and have a reason to go up to them at that conference and then get them to come, uh, chat with me and share that story with others so that's honestly how it started um and it's it's really grown from there um both in terms of listeners and in terms of you know we edited a bit now and we've had people from all different countries and different kinds of episodes on you know with tech companies and different panels and debates and all kinds of things but really the core is telling the stories of both traditional and non-traditional innovators in ag tech and trying to get to the sort of, so what of all this technology and all these buzzwords, you know, what does it actually mean? Who's actually going to adopt it? Who's going to get value? Uh, and having some good chats with uh, amazing people in the industry along the way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It get, just gives you that license to go up to people and talk to them, doesn't it? I've been listening exactly. to ag tech, so what? So it's been really good to see like what's going on in ag tech as well and how it could be used for farmers across Australia, but also globally as you talk to global speakers on it as well.
2: Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate that. Um, and, and it's pretty cool the podcasting world. You, you get to meet um, really interesting people, and um, you never know who you end up actually, you know, meeting in person. I've, I've been really excited to meet someone on the internet, and then they come on the podcast, and then two two years later, I get to actually visit their farm and meet their family or go to their business, in maybe a different country or different state. So um, it's pretty amazing what you can do these days.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to come visit our farm after COVID restrictions, <laughs> of
2: course. <laughs> Thanks, Jack.
1: Now, it's been amazing to have you on the show, as you can probably hear from your voice and how you explain things. You're very passionate about agriculture and to be in Australian agriculture. It's amazing to have you on behalf of the industry, but also farm Advice listeners. But before you go, a few questions. Who else would you like to hear on the farm Advice podcast and why?
2: Hmm. That's a good question. Um, have you, I, I think the, the kind of non-traditional innovators theme is maybe one that is pretty fun to hear. So farmers who've built, uh, ag tech companies. So Andrew and Jossie Bate at Swarm Farm, uh, you've got Emma, uh, and he have built Yakker, you know, there's some kind of people who've come more from the farming side, whether it's agriculture agronomy yeah. or, uh, and actually building tech companies. Uh, and I always think those stories are interesting because they really come from the problem instead of from this tech side. Um, so a couple of. Ideas like that.
1: Absolutely. I'll have Maybe to get in touch with one. Andrew.
2: Yeah. Um, another one would be um, David Ricardo. I don't know if you know David. He farms out in Walget, but he's um, built uh, an app called Farm Service Manager. And, uh, he, he, him and his wife have kind of done, done the whole thing themselves, but they basically had like a, you know, a log book that they, a paper log book for equipment records and things. And then they lost it and said, well, this is crap. Why don't we have a digital version of this? And someone must've built that. And I guess they haven't, so we'll build it ourselves. And, you know, David's got to be 60 ish, 60 something, um, and has built this app, the tech app and, um, gone through an accelerator program and just an amazing story of, um, maybe someone you wouldn't think of as an innovator, but really pushing the needle in the industry.
1: Yeah, definitely. I have seen it. It's going really good um, from what I've seen. So yeah, I'll get in touch with those. It's amazing to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Sarah. How can people contact you for the many things that you do, Authentic, Tenacious, or even the podcast?
2: Yeah. So I'm um, at SV Knowles on Twitter, uh, S-V-N-O-L-E-S. Uh, and we are at so AgTechSoWhat uh, on Twitter as well for the podcast uh, and insights and things like that.
1: Amazing. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll keep in touch down the line.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much, Shaq.
1: Now, that wraps up episode 54 for the Farms of Us podcast with Sarah Nolet. She's so passionate about what she does and how she communicates ag tech. And she's also definitely someone I look for for inspo to give me that boot to keep on going with my own podcast. I seem to always find some key takeaways from each speaker that joins me on the show And I hope you have too, because that's what it's actually set up for, for you to be able to find something and implement it into your own enterprise just to motivate you and improve your day-to-day routine. Let us know where you're listening from and share it on your socials. We'd love to see it. But until then, we'll see you next Tuesday. Flexibility
0: is great. That's
2: why there's yoga.